podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. A few weeks ago on this program, we talked about the Peter Principle. Well, today we're going to talk about another principle or idea. This one comes from a great 19th century book. This is how we thought we'd roll this one. I'm going to read this much-discussed extract from Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain, where Tom is forced to paint a fence as a punishment, but actually manages to convince others at first to help him, and then actually take over the painting itself. To me, this is kind of interesting for something that almost every entrepreneur struggles with and definitely should struggle with, which is how to find a way to lead a great team while not working yourself into the business day to day. A little fence painting is okay, but doing it for years on end is not the way to grow a successful business. So Ian and I are going to start off this episode by discussing that. And then a little bit later on, we're going to give a brief update on our latest business venture. And then definitely stick around to the end while we're going to have a discussion about one of the biggest questions I receive, which is, why do you guys always talk about top-line revenue and not profit? This is like somewhat of a controversial and contentious point. So in the third part of the episode, we'll get to that. So stick around for that. Now, I hope you're having a great week. Thanks for joining us on the TMBA pod. Let's get started with this one. Let's roll it. Tom contemplated the boy a bit and said, what do you call work? Why, ain't that work? Tom resumed his whitewashing and answered carelessly, well, maybe it is and maybe it ain't. All I know is it suits Tom Sawyer. Oh, come on now. You don't mean to let on like you like it. The brush continued to move. Like it? Well, I don't see why I oughtn't to like it. Does a boy get a chance to whitewash a fence every day? That put the thing into a new light. Ben stopped nibbling his apple. Tom swept his brush daintily back and forth, stepped back to take note of the effect, added a touch here and there, criticized the effect again. Ben watched every move and getting more and more interested, more and more absorbed. Presently, he said, Say, Tom, let me whitewash a little. Fundamentally, I think this story about Tom is really one about like leadership. Have you ever sat around in your apartment with four or five other people? Everybody agrees that you should go out to dinner. And everybody's like, well, where should we go? What should we do? Where should we go? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm always the guy, generally the guy, to throw out the first recommendation, especially if it's like where I live. And then it gives everybody the basis to argue with me on that, right? But at least like, it's a step forward. Every business needs a leader. You know, Tom painting this fence, like he was already committed to painting the fence. It's like, how much fun can we have? Everybody get on board here. This is what we're doing. The principle then breaks down where it's like, part of the reason you hire people in a business is that you don't want to be painting the fence every day yourself. Sure. You know, ideally what you want to do is step away from that fence and other people will continue to paint. So, and that's my question to you is, can you 
be a leader in a business but not be involved in the day-to-day struggle of running it. 100%. How do you do it, Tom? Well, Dan, first thing I think that you got to do is everyone working with you has to see that you know how to paint the fence. That's rule number one, right? And that you have painted the fence. Okay. As a leader, as a business owner, you have to show that you know how to do it and that you're willing to do it, but there's other things that you need to take care of. And therefore, you guys have to paint this fence. And when you're done painting this fence, which you will be someday, maybe you can go on the journey with me to figure out how to paint whatever's next. How available are you to your staff? Very available. All the time available. The question, I guess, becomes like one of culture. So I think it's a little bit different like in an office environment versus like a remote environment. You have to be able to continue with the metaphor, jump back in there, pick up the paintbrush, show them how it's done, how the whitewashing is done, and then hopefully hand back the paintbrush. For me, it's like a process for being connected, you know, for for us, that's weekly calls, you know, where it's like, this is an hour that for sure we're having a conversation about the expectations that we all have, like the outcomes that we're all seeking. It's not necessarily a conversation where it's like, you're talking about your SOP or like, this or that particular task, you know? I think getting drugged down into that is like what makes managing a bummer. And so one of the cool things about Tom is like he isn't managing people. You know what I mean? He's like inspiring people. If those calls start to become a bummer, it's a really good indication that you're talking about the wrong things. To be an effective leader, you've got to be engaged in the ideas that you're talking about. And for me in business, that means the desired outcomes for the business. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, sorting through the details of a problem that they're responsible for solving, for example. Here's, I think, where it starts to break down too a lot. A lot of times I meet people and they say like, oh, I'm, I'm really not good at managing people. Man, if I had a nickel for every solopreneur that's like said this, you know, they're like making a great living, you know, hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars a year, whatever it is, but they're having to do all the work. Like they basically built themselves a job. and my question to them is always like, why don't you hire someone to do half of this stuff? So you could either spend more time with your family or you could get onto the next project or you could make this business 10 times the size of it. Because the people that you bring into your business, they can certainly be multipliers in that way. The answer is generally just a simple like, well, I'm just not, not any good at managing people. And I think the truth behind that statement a lot of times lies in the ability to have a vision. So you can imagine like as a solopreneur, let's say you're making $150,000 a year, software developer, whatever you might be, the idea of bringing someone into your business would mean that you have to share with them your vision. And a lot of times I think, again, people are scared to share this vision because it really isn't much of one. It's I've created this job for myself. Like I see no future in this company being a $10 million company. I think that that's my response to why haven't you hired somebody in this operation is because your vision isn't strong enough to include other people. When you talk about like SOPs and people fulfilling SOPs, I think that that's fairly easy to do these days. There's a bunch of different sites where you can find relatively high quality people that have multiple jobs that are able to you know fill out a spreadsheet or do whatever you might need to do. The problem occurs again when there's no vision involved with that. So, you know, people, again, I hear this all the time. It's like, oh, I have all these people. They're fulfilling these SOPs for me. They're 
carrying out these tasks, but they're not passionate about the project, or they miss four days of work, or how do I find someone reliable? Yeah, who's going to be passionate about filling out a bunch of SOPs? Dan, we're humans, right? Like, (laughs) we need purpose, I think, to be able to do our best work. And it is the job of the founder, of the owner of the company, of the entrepreneur, to provide that type of vision. If you haven't worked with other people on your vision, like if you haven't employed other people to help you execute on your vision, like you're missing out on a lot of fun. I don't want to like understate that, but like it's a ton of fun to have a vision and to have other people working towards your vision and to also have those people start to embody your vision too, you know? So like go home and like get excited about the things that you're also excited about. And that to me is like leadership, you know? Again, going back to Tom Sawyer, like when Ben picks up the paintbrush and Ben does it for himself, but then also for like the greater vision that Tom has, like that's powerful, you know? And if you can get an army of people working for you and working towards your vision, if it's a big enough one and if it's a good enough one, like it's not only powerful, it's super fun. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, the internet generation of outsource, delegate, VA, SOP, throw in your buzz term of like, mechanical tasks being put on someone else's desk that's a very small part of what it means to like build a team and manage a vision and stuff and it's funny you mention all that like we're going to get into like some of the stuff we're doing in business but one of my goals this year is to grow our team i love spending a day pacing around my apartment in enthusiastic conversations with people on the team you know about what we're doing it's like if you compare that with like this other world where you have 15 tabs open and like Odesk open and like four automatrons like doing SOPs for you, answering 100 emails a day versus the other vision of the CEO pacing, speaking with smart people who've taken responsibility for whole area, functional areas of a business. That to me is, is a vision I, that I can get behind and something that I'm super passionate about. Dan, getting back to Tom and Ben, you know, the other thing that happens when uh, Ben starts to paint the fence is that Ben starts to figure out some innovation. A lot of times, Ben might become a better painter than Tom ever was. And a lot of magic happens there, right? So when you have your team members coming up with ideas that you never thought about, like, so, hey, here's how we paint the fence two times as fast, or here's how we don't burn through so many brushes. These are things that Tom probably wouldn't have been able to figure out, right? But now he's got a team behind him and some interesting things are happening. So Tom went away. He's commandeering the painting business. He started painting houses. Meanwhile, Ben is figuring out all these innovations about fencing. Here's the upside for everybody listening to this. It's not that hard. You already are. As an entrepreneur, you're enthusiastic about the outcomes that you're seeking. And so the promise of the Tom Sawyer principle is that If you can lean into that enthusiasm and communicate it to others, you've already got it, right? Like a lot of the hard work is already out of the way. And I think people can get off track so many ways. Like, you know, sometimes it's like you're trying to make an ROI on a staff member. And so you're like digging into like what they're doing all day long or whatever. On another hand, like it's such a drag to talk to people about what kind of problems they're having or whatever. So, you know, management becomes this thing that you think you're horrible at and, I guess the promise of the Tom Sawyer principle is, look, this doesn't actually need to be difficult all the time. It's easy to be enthusiastic about the outcomes you're seeking. So Dan, I want to say something real quick about that in terms of enthusiasm. 
many of you guys listening to the show know that we sold our business in 2015. And in the private talks I've given about selling that business, one of the main reasons I've cited for selling that business was lack of enthusiasm. It got to a point for me where it just became purely about making money. And it became very hard for me to get on the phone every week with our team members and express enthusiasm for that business when my goals were purely financially focused. And that was never the focus for our employees over at that business. And so you can imagine, like I found myself on these team calls every week, trying to find the enthusiasm to talk about the products, the customers, the experiences that they were having, when all I was doing was looking at that spreadsheet. You know, and this happens to a lot of people. If your business is at that point, or if you're at that point where this is just purely about financial motivation, it's very hard to get people on board with that. Like most people, and there's been a ton of studies based on this, but most people do not show up to work purely for the money. There's a lot of other different factors that are involved in that. And so for us, Dan, when it became purely financial, you wouldn't even want somebody like that on your team. Exactly. And so going back to these issues, I think that people are, are bringing up these days about like, contractors, you know, fulfilling these like simple SOPs and da da da. It's not surprising that it's hard to find people that will just click the keys unless their only motivation is money. When you start to incentivize these people differently or when you start to like dig in and try and build a real team and you have all these contractors that are just simply pecking the keys for money, it's no surprise to me that it's hard to get those people on board with the vision because that's not the reason they were brought onto the team in the first place. Let me say one final thing about this before we do some news updates. Don't be so hard on yourself out there in entrepreneur land about this stuff. You know, it's hard, right? It's not as hard as running the whole damn thing yourself. I think there's sort of like a, a mix of like too much moaning about it on the one hand. And on the other hand, like people being a little bit hard on themselves, like you're going to make mistakes. Be conscious of it and fix them, address the mistakes. But for me, if you're not enthusiastic about those interactions with your staff, you know, that's a great place to focus and say, how can we get this to a conversation I want to have? What sort of outcomes are going to make us mutually enthusiastic? Dan, I'm going to take it a little bit of the opposite direction. And I'm going to say, be hard on yourself, entrepreneurs. Do not let yourself off on the hook here. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm getting fired up about painting some fences, man. And especially <laughs> I'm getting fired up about painting some fences, enjoying it and getting other people on board. Entrepreneur, if you're listening to this show and you are not 100% pumped up about your business, if you do not have a vision that's large enough to employ other people, start thinking about where you're at. Have you just built yourself a job? I think, Dan, it's time to get yourself a big enough vision, time to get yourself a big enough boat where you can have some people on it with you because it's a lot more fun. You're going to sail a lot further. And you're going to see a lot more cool things if you have other people with you. Yeah. Take a risk. The other thing is that with the internet nowadays, it's so easy to just sort of hustle up some income, get by like that. But I think it's more rewarding when you take the risk and you bring on uh, a team. Honestly, if like what you're trying to do is hustle up some, some income on the internet, do it all yourself, work for eight hours a day, that's fine. But once you realize that you have the capacity to have a larger vision, once you realize that there might be something bigger out there, you're going to have to change your way of thinking and, and the way that you interact with people and get other people involved in your projects. 
Today's episode is sponsored by the Bean Ninjas. Do you have a constant feeling of anxiety about the mess that your accounts are in? Tax deadlines are something that we all truly dread. And what's worse, most bookkeeping professionals think that an Amazon product is just rainforest lumber. If you identify with any of this, we have good news for you. Bean Ninjas is a bookkeeping and financial reporting service designed to take those problems away. And they specialize specifically in online businesses, so they get what we do. From day one, let the Bean Ninjas keep your books clean and in order, and they do it all online, so you can focus on growing your business. And for listeners of the TMBA podcast, Bean Ninjas is offering a one-hour road mapping session to help clarify where your finances are at and what your next step should be for only $100. It's a third of their usual price. So go check them out over at BeanNinjas.com and let them know the TMBA sent you. And a big thanks to the team at Bean Ninjas for sponsoring the pod. Let's talk about some uh, remote jobs updates. We've been working a lot on dynamitejobs.co. I think it's worth talking about like, you know, everybody's like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing, man? I think we're like a little bit less visible, but it's not like we're not. I feel like I'm always having to explain like, this is it. This is exactly it. Okay. People who listen to this show or come to our events and stuff, or they go to the forum, they don't see us in there every day doing the work. And they're assuming that we're not doing any work. So we launched dynamitejobs.co several months ago. It's been a place where people can post uh, remote job opportunities. These are full-time opportunities for the most part. They are customer service roles. They are marketing roles. They are management roles. They're mostly anything that you can do from a remote location. And Dan, you and I believe for a long time, because we've built teams like this for the last 10 years, that the trend will be companies, corporations will have remote teams. They will be decentralized. It will not make tons of sense in the future to have all of your employees in some expensive New York City office because maybe the best talent isn't in New York City, maybe the overhead's high in New York City. Whatever it might be, these decentralized teams, they do have their own issues, but in general, I think that they're the future. And so we are trying to help facilitate making these connections for people and companies. Yeah. I mean, it's never been easier to uh, find a remote job. The thesis of Dynamite Jobs sort of came from this idea of looking at the room at uh, one of our Dynamite Circle events where you have 300 people in the room and you think, in this room alone, there's a few hundred jobs being created next year. The exact sort of jobs that I would want to work for if I wasn't running a company. And so I thought, hey, like let's present these jobs to the public. And so Dynamite Jobs became essentially a job board for members of the Dynamite Circle to post their jobs. And then we would go out and promote it to the Tropical MBA audience. A large percentage of listeners today are people who are motivated by all different sorts of things, Ian. Like you're saying, like I know a lot of you out there you might be more motivated by the freedom of the entrepreneurial lifestyle than the actual responsibility and, and work it takes and risk to run a business yourself. I was talking to somebody that hired through Dynamite Jobs just the other day. I think it was like a paid traffic specialist. So somebody that specializes in uh, Google ads and Facebook ads. They had someone in-house, I believe, that was making something like $7,000 a month doing this for them. They decided to take it remote 
So they looked to hire someone over at dynamitejobs.co. Ended up finding someone at the same level of quality and professionalism that was willing to do the job for $4,000 a month because they didn't have to commute, because they didn't have to be in an office, because they could work from wherever. And so I think, Dan, it's just a testament of two things. One is people are willing to do the job probably for less than what you're paying right now. And then two, money isn't always the only motivating factor in these positions. It's not to say everyone that's hiring through Dynamite Jobs is like finding a deal on someone like this. But I do think there's a lot more people out there that are interested in these opportunities than one might think. Yeah, totally. One of the things we've noticed with the site is simply how much traffic it's getting and how many people are signing up for the email list. Just from a raw traffic perspective, it's probably the most successful thing we've ever done. Yeah. It just shows that there's a big audience for the types of jobs that listeners of this show are creating. The next step for us is to figure out how to turn all this into a business, right? Right now, it's just a job board. And it's not exactly clear how to do that. It's totally hard, you know. But I, I'm really enjoying being back in the trenches, trying to work on this business and figure out how we're going to make money and how we're going to execute on our vision. We did a little test campaign this week to try and see, you know, crack the revenue faucet over here, right? I'm like reaching to the right imagining I'm in like a circular room and there's all these potential places where I could crack this thing on. And so we kind of reached over to the right, we cracked the nozzle and it didn't quite work. You kind of pull back and you say like, okay, how are we going to do this again? Which lever are we going to crack open? And I think the exciting part there, Dan, is like, Tom, we're going forward no matter what with this because we believe 100%, and I'll say it on the podcast right now, that remote working is the future. There will be much more of it in 10 years than there is today. I believe we can make something happen here. It's not clear like whether you know companies paying us to post their jobs is going to be the business model or whether it's going to be having like advanced options for people seeking careers for example. Like there are different ways to monetize a site like this. I think the next step that I feel passionate about is not simply presenting the jobs that are unique to us, but creating a solution for career seekers, job seekers where they can be confident if they come to Dynamite Jobs that they're not going to miss any quality job opportunities that are relevant to them. And when I say any, I mean like the whole web of potential opportunities that they might be interested in to have a product that makes sure that they get first crack at all of those opportunities. So that's sort of the next product step. It's not cheap, right? Like this stuff, it's risk. You know, we're building a team around this. This stuff doesn't get done by Ian taking a bunch of productivity medicines and sitting in front of his desk for 14 hours a day. So we're definitely like making some investments to see what we can create here. Yeah, just to, to be very clear about where we're at on that, you know, we've invested in some technology in the last nine months. We've invested in staff. We've invested in advertising. It's been thousands and thousands of dollars at this point to try and figure out how this is going to work out. The last thing that I'll say about Dynamite Jobs, and I'd actually like to do more updates, and maybe we can talk a little bit more concretely in the future about exactly what we're doing. It's like the first update we've done. It's like all over the map. This is very meta. Yeah. We should be saying like, here's how many people got jobs, like what our revenue is. So next time we do this news update, let us know what you want to hear about with Dynamite Jobs. I know a lot of people have been asking us to share like more of what we're doing on a daily basis. 
and Dynamite Jobs is, is a lot of it. And then the rest of it is all these DC events that are coming down the pike. Like over 300 people are coming to Bangkok in a couple months. So that keeps us busy as well, of course. Last thing I'll say about Dynamite Jobs is, again, getting back to being Tom Sawyer, if you've got ideas about like what the remote workforce revolution looks like, I'd like to talk to you. If you're a part of that industry right now, if you own a business that's active, or if you're a job searcher or a job seeker or a job provider, I'd like to talk to you about your experiences. Before we go, Ian, I would like to talk about one of the most common questions that I receive. I've not yet answered it because I actually think it's quite difficult to answer, but I want to take a stab at it on today's show. Here's the question. Why do entrepreneurs always talk about top-line revenue and they never talk about profit? It's like, hey, it's not that useful if we're just hearing about how many sales a business is bringing in. Why aren't we talking about how much that entrepreneur made? Now, I want to take a stab at answering this because I think it's a really interesting conversation, and it's not as simple as it appears on the surface to me. The short answer is, particularly in the first five years of inception, knowing the revenue figure of a bootstrap business will tell you a lot more about it than knowing the profit figure. Now, the reason for that is knowing the revenue figure gives you a sense of the scope of the business. Knowing the profit figure does not, right? Because you could have a business that made a million dollars in sales that made zero money. Now, it could make zero money for a lot of different reasons, Ian. It could make zero money because the founder's incompetent. It could make zero money because there's no profit margin. It could make zero money because the entrepreneur decided to reinvest all the profits back into the business. So like knowing that number doesn't get you anywhere. But if you take the top line, say $1 million, and then you marry it with the industry, you have a pretty good sense for the scope scale of that business. There's a lot of judgment calls that go into deciding how much money you're going to make from your business. Yep. There's a lot of tax implications. Sure. At the end of the day, let's say, of course, I concede the fact that it would ultimately be interesting to have that conversation. There are privacy issues too and potential legal issues. It a little bit bothers me because it's like, hey, these entrepreneurs are coming out here sharing so much about what they're doing and heaven forbid they wouldn't share with you like what they're taking home from it. It's just not a complaint that I see entrepreneurs in the game really having, right? It's more of like a sort of a critique or a complaint I hear from people who are curious about the entrepreneurial world and are confused as to why. Because there are industries like, say, selling on Amazon, for example, where having a very high revenue figure might not mean that the entrepreneur themselves are making very much money. That said, entrepreneurs know very well like what the profit margins are for Amazon businesses. And so they're not going to automatically assume that someone who has a half a million dollar Amazon business is making it rain. There's lots of compelling reasons why talking about top line is both more practical and more useful. I've certainly thought about this before. There's a bunch of questions around this, but when people ask, or more often people tell, if you ask somebody like, oh, what kind of business do you run? How's it doing? 
a lot of times people will say like, oh, we do $20 million and we have like 50 employees or 100 employees or whatever it is. Whenever I ask that question, it's always interesting to see what people's response is because it, this top line number and also like the number of employees you have and all this stuff, it can be a vanity metric. What you're saying about the first couple of years of a business, I think is true, which is like the income, the profit doesn't mean a lot because you can be doing a lot of different things with it. Like you said, you can be reinvesting in inventory, staffing, advertising, whatever it might be. Well, you could also say like, if you're going to be a real stickler about it, you could say the freelance software developer whose income is 100% profitable, aside from an internet connection, netted $150,000 last year, whereas the e-commerce company that has six employees that had a million-dollar sales might have also netted $150,000. So what tells you more about the business, the profit or the top-line revenue? If you could only know one, I feel like you'd choose a sales figure. This is a pretty big topic, but you just talked about a business that puts $150,000 to the bottom line, and it's got all these moving parts, and then an individual that puts $150,000 to the bottom line, and it only has one moving part. There's a difference though between those two organizations. One is an asset, the other is an operator. So you can't go and sell the operator. The only thing that you can go sell the operator for is another job, but you can sell the asset. So there's a lot more value wrapped up in that organization than there is in the individual, even though it takes a lot more work to keep all those moving parts working together. Getting back to the top line versus the bottom line, there are a lot of factors that go into place. And so when you talk about a mature business, let's say seven to 15 years old, I think that you can learn a lot about the profitability. I was just talking to a guy the other day, local business here in Austin. At one point, he had like 30 trucks on the road. He had all these employees. He had this warehouse, all this stuff. What he figured out though, Dan, was that his operation at that scale wasn't very profitable. So he scaled back to having three trucks and doing a lot less work and still making the same profit. So I think that determining your profitability, like as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of flexibility there. A lot of these businesses that we run, they can be very profitable or they can be not so profitable. And like you said at the beginning, it depends kind of on the owner's competence. It depends on a lot of things. It's decided by like how much tax minimization you want to do. It's determined by how much investment in the business. So I think you're right to say that without a lot of explanation, the profitability of a business is a lot less telling than the top line. Combine that with the social awkwardness of actually outlining what you took home last year. And some people are willing to do that. You know, Some people do it publicly on the web. Some people, they don't want to do that. I would categorize myself as one of those people. I don't know. I'd, everybody has their reasons. My reason might be it feels a little bit tasteless, actually, which is a weird thing to say, given that we're here on a business program talking about money. That's probably true, too, especially like in America. It's like very taboo. I'm like more than willing to do it in a private setting. And most entrepreneurs that I meet will be. I was talking to someone who wanted to become an entrepreneur, and I was like, hey, the way you do become an entrepreneur in your industry is you go figure out where the money is because you don't want to like emulate something that's not making any money. Her question to me was, well, how am I going to figure out how much money they're making? And I was like, you're going to ask them <laughs> because entrepreneurs are willing to answer that question. I think there's a difference between saying that in private in a conversation with somebody versus like making it 
a matter of public record and like talking about it regularly. I'm okay with that. But like personally, again, it comes back to like my thesis and why I brought this up in the first place is that it's just not that useful. Like it's more of a gossipy thing. It's about that person specifically as opposed to about like industry and business and the opportunities that exist there. So that's why, like, as a judgment for this show, if someone like runs a coaching and blogging business, say, and they come on the podcast and they say, Hey, I did a million dollars in sales last year, for the audience's benefit, it doesn't seem that useful to say, But how much did you make? You know what I mean? I think that's enough. (laughs) Again, like, it's there's so much context involved there. And unless that person is like reaching out to me and saying, like, I'd really like to maximize my personal income then that's a conversation that's like very easy to have. So it's like, okay, let's take a look at the P&L. Let's take a look at the balance sheet. Let's figure out like how to do that. But you know, some people aren't interested in maximizing their own personal income. They could say like, how do I grow this business? And then you look at the spreadsheet and you say like, well, dude, you're taking home $200,000 a year. You're taking home all the profit. Like you need to reinvest that. Well, it's like, well, I can't. We like live in this mansion and I have this whole mortgage and all this stuff. And it's like, well, then your business is going to suffer because of it. So In closing, with my thoughts on this, Dan, it's like all about where you want to go personally and where you want your business to go. If your idea is like, I need to make personally a half a million dollars a year, like you're going to have to have a business that supports that. I'm glad we've done a podcast on this topic now. We can like section it off and send it around when we hear this question in the future. I mean, I don't know. I guess like I have a strong opinion about it for some reason. I totally understand the question. You know, I understand why people think profit's really important and why they would want to know about it. You know, that's just my uh, long answer to why we don't talk about it that much. We've had so many conversations privately with the P&L, with the balance sheets. Like that's where that conversation happens. You know, just putting out that profit number publicly, I don't think it tells you much without the context. It makes sense to me why people would be interested in that number at the same time, Dan, because you know, a lot of times people are trying to judge whether or not they should like get into that business or that skill set or something like that. Like they actually want to know how profitable it is. That makes sense to me, you know, trying to gauge interest in something based on having the full picture. Having been privy to the full picture, a lot of times, if the question niggling you is, well, how much money are they really making? The answer 8.5 times out of 10 is not as much as you think. Always. The answer is probably a lot less. Almost every single person I've met is making less money than I thought they were. (laughs) It's true. It's super true. All right, boss man, uh, me and you, prime examples. Prime. Prime examples of said principle that needs to be named. We'll call it the principle Dan and Ian need to get back to work principle. So let's get off the podcast and get back to work. (laughs) We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We hope you're here. See you then. Ciao. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.